Hello everyone. I want to give a recap of a presentation I gave last night on the Bible, witchcraft, and Salem. The reason I want to do this is one, the audio quality on that recording wasn't the best, and so I want to give a summary now and also make it a little bit more concise. So with that, I want to jump right in. The topic was the Bible, witchcraft, and Salem, and how it initially started, or how I got the idea for this topic was, I was reading about the Salem Witch Trials, and I thought that would be a great topic to address, uh, address the Salem Witch Trials. It is a very ignominious period in American history, a period that most everyone um, has an idea about, and I started to look into that. But as I did that, as I started to look into witchcraft, I started to look into what the Bible says about witchcraft, and as it turned out, there was so much there, especially as it relates to a topic that is very important in our nation today, uh, that is abortion. I realized that this subject of witchcraft uh, is very applicable to today, as all of God's word is, as all of God's law word is. It's, it's applicable today once we understand it and how to apply it. There's great blessing in our personal lives, our family lives, churches, and society as a whole. So this talk, this video now is about witchcraft, what the Bible says about it, and I'll also briefly touch on Salem, but not to the degree I thought I would at first because I ended up realizing there's a lot to talk about just focusing on witchcraft. So probably the most, one of the most poignant verses or you know, verses that really comes to our mind when we think of witchcraft is Exodus twenty-two eighteen. Exodus twenty-two eighteen says, "You shall not permit a sorceress to live." The Old King James translates it, "Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live." So the first question that comes to our mind is, what is it about this sin of witchcraft or sorcery or divination that is so serious and so vile and so? destructive, I think is, an, is, a, is a good word for it. What is it about this sin that causes God to call for the death penalty here in Exodus twenty two eighteen of those who practice this wicked sin? Well, I think we'll see that the reason God is very specific about his anger against this sin is because it leads to destruction. It leads to injustice. It leads to the shedding of innocent blood. So in order to get to that point, we have to first understand what witchcraft is. What does the Bible have in mind when it speaks of witchcraft in certain translations or sorcery or divination? I think divination is a good word that sort of summarizes the, the practice of witchcraft. And what definition that I as I was looking at it, the kind of formed in my mind was the practice of seeking secret revelation or aid from unauthorized sources. It's the practice of seeking secret revelation or aid from unauthorized sources. Those sources end up being demonic, as we'll see in Scripture. So when you look at Deuteronomy 18.9, for example, and this is a passage that sort of summarizes witchcraft as the Bible presents it. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 9, says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. 
There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. It's Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 12. And what we'll see here, one thing we'll see, and we'll come back to this, is the link between witchcraft or divination, the link between witchcraft and child sacrifice. That's the first instance of it in this talk, and I'm going to point out several more. But as we look at these words that are used in Deuteronomy 18, you start with anyone who practices divination, then it lists several, I believe, different ways that someone would use divination. Telling fortunes, interpreting omens, being a sorcerer, a charmer, a medium, a necromancer, inquiring of the dead. All these things, which incidentally are the common practices in pagan religions of various sorts, Eastern mysticism, uh, charismatic uh, beliefs in, in some circles, and we'll touch on that. Uh, all pagan religion is, at its core, a seeking after of revelation or information or aid from a source other than God. And so witchcraft, at its core here, is, is seeking that information, seeking that revelation, seeking to get in touch with the divine, but not the one true God. And that's what idolatry is. It's replacing God with an idol. It's replacing God with a, a pagan deity. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, what the pagans sacrifice to, they sacrifice to demons. So it is a seeking after of this information that God has not authorized. That is what the Bible has in mind when it talks about witchcraft. In a broad sense, there are specifics we could get into, um, which the, the point of this talk is not to go into that, but just to give a, a broad understanding that witchcraft at its core is a, a seeking after of divine revelation, yes, but not from the only true God, from perceived gods, from things that people think are gods, uh, but are not gods and are actually demonic when, when we really get into it. I think one of the main verses that uh, doesn't speak to witchcraft directly, but I think actually has a lot to do with what drives people to witchcraft or is a, a good explanation of what's going on in witchcraft is actually Deuteronomy 29, 29, where the word of the Lord says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God has revealed himself in creation, in the conscience. So these pagan nations that engage in witchcraft are suppressing the truth they know, the revelation they know, and seeking it from other sources. And now, uh, as God's word has spread, and we have God's revelation here in the scripture, and yet people seek after the secret things. When you think of the occult, the very word itself conjures in your mind the this idea of that which is dark and hidden and secret. 
and you can find out the future and you can find out the secret information by tapping into um, these, these deities. And God's word makes it clear that the secret things belong to the Lord. The future, all these other things that, that, that we don't need to know God are reserved for God, but what is for us is what's revealed in his law that we might apply it to our lives, our families' lives, and our community. So when we seek after these things that God has told us not to, um, we're not going to be blessed. Now, the, there's a contrast, as I thought about this, the contrast between true religion, biblical religion, biblical Christianity, and witchcraft is very striking because witchcraft, as I said, is at its core idolatry. It's the most flagrant manifestation of idolatry. And so there's a chart here that I used that I made up in uh, the source of knowledge. So the source of knowledge for true religion is God's revelation scripture. The source of knowledge for witchcraft is pagan deities and superstition. Um, the Geneva Bible translates some of these, these words in Deuteronomy 18, translates one of them as those who look at the flight of birds. And that was a common practice just as was looking at the entrails of dead animals and trying to ascertain the future and trying to gain information. So the source of knowledge in witchcraft is, is pagan deities, either communing with them, seeking to commune with the dead, which ultimately is, is, is seeking to commune with demons, um, offering unto demons, seeking to appease these pagan deities and seeking to gain information by looking for omens, interpreting omens, telling fortunes. Okay, so this, and then the source of the law in true religion is God's character. God's law is good. God is good. He gives his law for the good of mankind. And the source of law in witchcraft is demonic, which is essentially humanism. When you consider humanism, you'll realize that at its core, it's the most hateful, unloving, unjust law that there, that there could be imaginable. Um, and, and I'm sure Satan is a murderer from the beginning, and his desire is to steal and destroy. He doesn't have a plan for unity and harmony and structure he wants to destroy. And humanistic law and humanistic religion lead to death and destruction, as we'll see. The summary of the law, this is a good case in point, the summary of God's law and true religion is to love God and love your neighbor. The summary of the law in witchcraft, and this is actually a quote, you can look this up, um, do what thou wilt. All right, the old Wiccan read was, and, and ye do no harm, do what thou wilt. And a man came along who was known for promoting a satanic religion and shortened it to just do what thou wilt. But that is at its core what humanism is all about. Do whatever feels good to you, um, even to the point of murdering a child. If that child's going to limit your freedom, uh, impinge upon your pleasure, then murder that child, do what thou wilt. Now the spiritual results, the spiritual results of true religion is love and submission for God. In witchcraft, it's rejection of God's authority and hardening of the heart. Now the societal results, which is something we will focus on, is in God's true religion is justice, equity, and the protection of the innocent. When witchcraft is implemented, it's injustice and the shedding of innocent blood. And I want you to think about this because witchcraft is at its core, idol it's a, it flows from idolatry. If idolatry is breaking the first and greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is what Jesus said in Matthew 
22, I believe, Matthew 22 or 23, if, if idolatry is br- that breaking of the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you break that commandment, it's only natural then that the second greatest commandment will also be broken, which is what did Jesus say in the second commandment, which is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Anytime there is idolatry in a society, anytime there is a rejection of God and his authority, there is going to be also a breaking of the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, to see that there's justice done, equity, that your neighbor is treated fairly. And that's exactly what we see in witchcraft. Witchcraft, it's sort of in the middle. You have idolatry here, and then what float witchcraft is is idolatry being worked out since there's a rejection of god there's going to be a seeking of revelation and aid and worship that's going to come in the place of true worship and then what flows from that is a breaking of the second greatest commandment or the second table of the law jesus summarizes the 10 commandments down to love god and love your neighbor so the greatest commandment to love god is broken in idolatry witchcraft then all these practices and witchcraft flow from that. And then the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor is yourself will inevitably fall and will inevitably, there will inevitably be shedding of innocent blood, destruction, and injustice when there is idolatry. So with that being said, we have to consider the link between idolatry, witchcraft, and infanticide. And I already read in Deuteronomy 18, how these are linked together. I want us to um, look at one more passage, Leviticus 20. And this is just to show that in Scripture, and this is what initially caught my eye as I was looking through Scripture, in Scripture it's very clear that there are so many references where witchcraft, right, idolatry, then witchcraft, is linked to child sacrifice. Leviticus uh, 20 and, and in this case, in Deuteronomy 18, this child sacrifice came first. Idolatry is sort of the umbrella. God's saying, hey, here are these pagan nations that are idolaters. As a result of that, they're sacrificing their children and engaging in witchcraft. In Leviticus 20, it starts out with child sacrifice, and then we'll see it goes right into witchcraft. Leviticus 20, verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, Then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. Listen to the next verse, verse 6 of Leviticus 20. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. So again, there's this link in scripture. When there's paganism, which is idolatry or rejection of God, then there are the, 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 the religious practices of pagans, right? No matter how sophisticated they get, they're still going to be acting upon their sin 
and trying to be religious and and acting according to their beliefs. And so the pagans, their idolatry leads them to this, these wicked sins of witchcraft and child sacrifice. So that's Deuteronomy 18, Leviticus 20. Now I want us to, to look now we will at a couple other places in Scripture that links these, at least one place that clearly links again witchcraft and child sacrifice. To do that, I want us to consider this question or consider this statement really, and that is this, that God will judge those who do not deal with this sin. God will deal with those who don't deal with this sin. And I believe it was Rush Dooney who said, and I don't agree with everything Rush Dooney said, but I think this is very accurate what he said. In Exodus 22, God God commands capital punishment for this sin. And as we was we'll see, I think that's very appropriate. Obviously, it's God's law, it's appropriate. But even from our perspective, because of what this sin leads to and the, the destruction and the carnage that it leads to, because God loves mankind and he cares about them and he wants them to be protected and he wants to protect the innocent from injustice, he calls for capital punishment for this sin of witchcraft. And what what we see in history is that when a nation, a society of people don't deal with the sin, don't deal with the sin of witchcraft and child sacrifice, God himself will bring capital punishment, as it were, upon that society and the destruction of that society. So three examples here. First, the Amorites, the people of, of Canaan, the Amorites and other people who lived in Canaan. In, in Genesis fifteen sixteen, the Lord says to Abraham that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God was patient with them, but what happened to them? Their iniquity filled up. And as we read in Deuteronomy 18, it was for these abominations, it's very clear in scripture, for these abominations that God drove those people out of the land. He judged them and drove them out of the land because they were engaged in witchcraft and child sacrifice. Genesis 15, 16 and Deuteronomy 18, which we just read, it makes it very clear God judged those nations for breaking his law of loving him and not committing idolatry and therefore all the sins that flow from it. And so that's one example. You also, if you read in Deuteronomy in the, in the earlier, I believe it's Deuteronomy four, I could be wrong about that, but it's telling, it's saying why were the Israelites brought into the land? God makes it clear. It's not because of your righteousness. It's because of the wickedness and sin of these nations. So God dealt with them because they wouldn't deal with this sin among others. But this is really sort of the, the most flagrant, obvious sin that a person or a society could commit is to, to, to wholeheartedly reject God and, and seek after the, these demonic sources of revelation, which will lead to injustice. Now, the next example is in Judah, is among God's people. In 2 Kings 21, and, and this was very, and is very painful to read when you when you read the things that Manasseh did. So I'm gonna, I want to briefly go through this. 2 Kings 21, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Verse 2, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Okay, he's doing exactly what these nations that God judged did. Manasseh is doing the same things. Verse 6, 
and he burned his son as an offering. Okay, and what is the very next in the same verse? And used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And, and the carved image of Asherah that he made, he set in the house of which the Lord said. So he is rejecting God, setting up these pagan deities, seeking their revelation, their raid, their law, their, their guidance. And what does it lead to? It leads to him sacrificing his children to these pagan deities. Verse 16, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Whenever paganism takes root, wherever the gospel isn't, hasn't taken root or influenced the culture, even if not everyone is converted, but there's an influence where paganism dominates, inevitably there's injustice, shedding of innocent blood, and child sacrifice. Human sacrifice is something that nearly every missionary that has gone out to bring the gospel to, to pagan lands. It's one of the first things they've had to encounter is human sacrifice and the occult. And you look around now and there are some places in Africa and Asia where people are turning from, from this the occult, from witchcraft, turning from this and turning to Christ. And unfortunately, as we'll see, it seems like in America at the moment, people are turning from Christ and turning back to paganism and the occult. We'll get to that in a minute. So Manasseh, engages in witchcraft, sets up these, these priests, these priests of Asherah, Baal, Molech, and, and, and leads the people to sin, right? It's like the, you know, the, the priest of Baal to Planned Parenthood, they're leading the people to sin. The, the woman that goes in there and yes, is guilty of committing murder, but she may have no idea all the ramifications of what's going on. And just same way with Manasseh, setting up this false system of worship, this false system of, of these humanistic demonic laws. And what does it lead to? The shedding of innocent blood, verse 16. And so just as God dealt with the Amorites, God deals with the people of Judah here. Verse 11, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did. Manasseh did even worse than the Amorites who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. God says, I'm bringing judgment because among other things, and perhaps the most obvious and flagrant thing is that he engaged in this witchcraft. He sacrificed children. He's led the people to do this. He shed innocent blood. Now, just to show how serious God is about this sin. This sin. In 2 Kings 23, we, we read of Josiah's great reforms. King Josiah is considered, in, in this chapter, the greatest king of Israel, even greater than David. There was no king like him before or after him. And what Josiah did was that he broke down these pagan altars. He removed the necromancers, the mediums. He, he, he got rid of this paganism and this witchcraft, right? He defiled the high places uh, of Ashtaroth and Chemosh and Milcom, these abominations of the, the, these pagan religions. Verse 24 of 2 Kings 23, Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. So if you read through that chapter, Josiah implements the law. The people unite and form a covenant to obey the law. And so there's revival in the land. And those that refuse 
to stop this pagan witchcraft, shedding of innocent blood, Josiah puts to death, implementing Exodus 22:18 as a protection in that society for, for the innocent. So Josiah did all those things right. But nevertheless, verse 26 of 2 Kings 23, still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah. Why? Because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. Even amidst all the great reforms and repentance, God said, I, I will still judge because what Manasseh did is so appalling, so abominable, so despicable that he would engage in this witchcraft especially when I had given him my revelation and the prophets were speaking to him the word of the Lord, he turned to, to, to paganism, the occult, and he shed innocent blood and killed children and others. And so God dealt with that society. So we have the, the Amorites, the people of Canaan. Now we have Judah. And another example, not in the scripture, is Carthage. The people of Carthage in North Africa were the ancient Phoenicians. They, they had brought with them and, and practiced the pagan religions of the land of Canaan. Same thing, Molech, Baal. Um, and they, it's reported that up to half of all children in Carthage were sacrificed to these pagan deities. They were engaged in witchcraft, paganism, child sacrifice at a level that uh, was hard for the Romans to fathom. This was before Christianity had permeated um, the Roman Empire. This was before Christ's incarnation during the Punic Wars, but the Romans were so appalled at what they saw in Carthage, this child sacrifice where the priests of Baal would be banging on the drums to drown out uh, the, the sounds of the babies crying and to drown out the mothers crying for these babies as they worshiped uh, these pagan deities. And so God used Rome and the Romans were merciless with Carthage. They, they plowed the city under. They, they salted the land with salt. They completely destroyed that civilization, that city, because of their, 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 their revulsion at what, at what they saw. And in fact, what you'll, you notice is, one historian notes that after that, there was child sacrifice going on in Rome, not to the level in Carthage, but after the Punic Wars with Carthage, the child sacrifice that was occurring in Rome, even that stopped to a large degree. So these weren't even a Christian people. They were wicked and they had their own um, vile practices, but God used them to judge Carthage because Carthage would not deal with this wicked sin of witchcraft and child sacrifice. And so the question then we have to ask ourselves is, right, we've seen the Amorites, Judah, Carthage, God judges these societies he deals with those who won't deal with this sin. What about America? And that's a sobering question to ask when you consider that um, America, witchcraft in America is unfortunately at this moment thriving. I don't believe it will be successful. I believe Christ will defeat it. I believe he will, he will defeat uh, paganism and, and every false system of worship. But that's a process. And at this moment, and America, though Christ's kingdom will grow and grow and be victorious america may not and so we need to be we need to realize that god is, is already judging us but he might judge us even more even if there is a great revival just as he said to manasseh um, to judah because of these abominable practices i am bringing judgment and if you look at 
America. Um, it might be too late for us as a nation, but that doesn't mean as, as Christians or the church we need to be discouraged. And I think the main point is we need to fear God, not North Korea, not Russia. If we, As a nation, if we are engaging in witchcraft and child sacrifice to the level that we are, we have over 50 million children sacrificed. No matter how strong our military is, God can bring judgment on us from the weakest of nations from our perspective. It's not our military that will save us. On the other hand, if we're faithful to God and faithful to his law, there's no matter how strong a nation is, God can protect us if that's what he wants to do. So when you look at Planned Parenthood and the rise of abortion in America, you see that abortion, abortion the, the abortion industry in general is very clearly tied to witchcraft and paganism and humanism. And in fact, some abortion clinics, individual ones, make it very clear. There's one abortion clinic in Seattle called Aradia Women's Health Center. Aradia was the name of a, um, a, a pagan goddess associated with witchcraft. The story is that she is the daughter of Satan and Diana, and she came to earth to teach people how to practice witchcraft. So this, this women's clinic, I mean, at least they're, they're being honest and they understand that what they're doing is sacrificing innocent children to, to, to their God of convenience, to their God of pleasure. And they're even using the, the pagan names of these gods. And there are other stories of, of uh, abortion mills where the abortionists are, are, are viewing... There are other abortion mills where abortionists are viewing the abortion as the, the greatest sacrament that there could be offering these children to God. And so when you see what witchcraft leads to, when you see these child sacrifice, this system of humanistic pagan religion flourishing at this moment where we've murdered all these children as a society, you see that witchcraft is unfortunately a very real thing in America right now. And so we have this system of idolatry where Christ has been rejected. It will be filled with witchcraft and other abominable practices. And then the result will be the same as it was in Canaan, the same as it was in Judah, when Manasseh led the people into sin, and the same as it, as it was in Carthage. And that is the shedding of innocent blood and child sacrifice at um, an incredible rate. And so that's where we are as a nation, we see the exact same sins being played out. And since God's law is rejected, and in its place you have the humanism, this demonic, these pagan religions, you see a lack of love for neighbor to the point that the children are murdered in the womb. Um, so it's very sobering when you understand uh, what witchcraft is biblically, and you understand what it leads to, you begin to really see why God's law is so good that that the implementation of God's law leads to the protection of innocent life. Now, that leads perfectly into the next point, which is, well, what about the Salem witch trials, right? We're talking about witchcraft, we're talking about implementing God's law, or at least the idea of it, um, not getting into specifics, but just what does God's law say about this sin? And the first thing that might come to mind is, well, what about... Salem, right? This is the period when God's law was implemented, right? When they did try to deal with witchcraft and look what happened. Innocent people were killed. Well, 
very briefly in another talk could deal exclusively with Salem, but the Salem Witch Trials of 1692 are, as I said, one of the most ignominious periods in American history. It's almost in, in people's minds worse than slavery that, that people who would call themselves Puritans or Christians or that we would call Puritans would, would do um, something like this. But the first question to ask is, was it even about witchcraft? Was, were the Salem witch trials really even about witchcraft as we have considered it biblically? And I don't think that it was. I think there were elements of it, but all in all, I think it was a misunderstanding of witchcraft. And so I want to give three reasons why Salem is not an example of what happens when you apply God's law. Number one, it wasn't the biblical understanding of witchcraft. In the 17th century and before, a common view of witchcraft is one that is more akin to the view that some might hold today of witches, even if they don't believe that they exist, but that is that witches fly around on brooms, that they uh, can shapeshift and turn into animals, that their spirit can do these, these things, and they can bewitch people. And uh, That was a view, among, among others, that the people that created that view, or, how, or should I say... Uh, popularized it was a man called Joseph Glanville who, who wrote about witches and, and that view was one of them. So you had in Europe this these accusations that girls, women, even men were flying around across the countryside on brooms and going and meeting and, and, and holding satanic um, meetings. And, and so that was a view that the Puritans, and this was a mixed bag. These are third generation Puritans by 1692. Not all of them are converted. And as we'll see actually, the ones who were convicted of witchcraft and put to death, most of them were, were the leading Christians in the community. At least half probably were leading Christians in the community, and they were the ones persecuted by probably many unbelievers. So the view of witchcraft in the 17th century and in Salem was not exactly the biblical one. All right, That's the first reason why this is not an example of God's law really being implemented. Number two is... There was a lack of evidence. Deuteronomy 17.6, and throughout God's law, if you're going to convict someone, there needs to be evidence. It needs to be examined by the judges. It needs to be convincing, right? If someone's done a crime on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. And it doesn't just mean someone just, if someone says something, it's automatically considered true. There needs to be at least two or three witnesses, two or three lines of evidence, and then they need to be examined. And that there was no evidence in Salem of true witchcraft. In fact, Cotton Mather, who wrote many, many very good things, some things I wouldn't agree with, and in the witchcraft tough trials, I, I think he could have been more forceful of what he said in a paper he wrote called The Return of Several Ministers, which if that paper alone would have been followed, the trials would have ended perhaps after one hanging, because Cotton Mather said, you cannot use spectral evidence in the court of law and spectral evidence was the evidence that was being used, which is basically saying that someone makes the accusation. Spectral evidence is when someone, so someone would make the accusation that they saw someone's spirit flying in the rafters or pinching them. And it was all based on not the actual person committing a crime, but their spirit. And Cotton Mather said in the return of several ministers, a, a demon could manifest himself in the form of someone. So we can't use spectral evidence. If that alone would have been followed, the trials would have ceased. So not the biblical understanding of witchcraft, the lack of evidence. Number three 
is the law of witnesses in Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21, which says that if someone brings an offense against someone and it's a a malicious witness that arises to accuse this person of wrongdoing, then both parties of dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, and the judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So if these people, mainly a lot of them were girls that were just accusing people, would have understood that that if you're maliciously bringing this charge against someone, seeking to ruin their life and ultimately for them to be put to death, and you have no evidence and you're making this stuff up, you will be held accountable for that that sin. And so if that would have been followed as well, the trials probably wouldn't have happened. So if the first two were followed, it certainly would not have happened. If the third that third aspect, the law of witnesses, was implemented, then it's pretty likely that no one would have brought these accusations because they were spurious, they were based on spectral evidence. In fact, if there was anybody guilty of witchcraft during the 1692 uh, witchcraft trials, it was probably those who were bringing the charges because they were the ones that were engaging in in these these omens and 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 superstition and and really abandoning um, God's clear revelation. So. Those are three reasons why. Don't let anybody. Don't let liberals tell you, "Oh, this is this is what happens when when you follow the Bible." And don't let Christians tell you, "Oh, look, that's what happens when God's law is implemented." Because those nine months in Salem is an example of what happens when God's law isn't followed. Now there were great advances the Puritans made, great implementation of God's law. In fact, they came from uh, England, where you'd be put to death for theft, and when they set up. Their laws in Massachusetts, they said, no, there'll be restitution made for theft, which is in accord with God's law. And at this point, like I said, these are third generation Puritans. Not all of them are converted. And when God's law was implemented, when biblical principles were applied, the society as a whole said what happened during Salem, during the trials, was wrong. And so they repented. Now, I want you to, as you think about that, and there's much more that could be said, but if we look at our nation, if in 1973, after after 19 murders, after 19 people were murdered in the womb, if as a society we realized, whoa, we've abandoned God's law, and as a society we, we stopped, wouldn't that be a glorious thing? So the Puritans in Salem, yes, they were wrong, but the society, when they, when they recognized what was going on, stopped. Have we as a nation stopped? Have we stopped? Did we stop after 19 people were murdered without even a trial? The witch trials were unjust, but there was a trial. There was at least a semblance of a recognition that someone can't be deprived of their life without a trial. Since Roe v. Wade, uh, and even before that, but Clearly, since Roe v. Wade, as a nation, we haven't even given people a trial before they're put to death, um, being sacrificed to these pagan gods. So, Puritans were not perfect, and we certainly are a far cry from being able to, to look at their society and sit in judgment. We need to take the log out of our eye, the 50, 60 million babies that are murdered, um, before we can take the speck um, out of the eye of the Puritan culture that... Um, put 19 people to death for witchcraft, which was wrong. But when they recognized that um, the society, they stopped. And I believe 
those who are bringing the charges and even those sitting as judges may not have been believers, but there were Christians in the community. And in fact, as I said, it was among the leading Christians who were condemned um, in the in the culture. Some of the biggest prayer warriors in the community were those that were put to death based on no evidence. So Salem, the Salem witchcraft trials are not an example of what happens when God's law is followed. They're an example of what happens for those nine months uh, when God's law isn't followed, just as the past, you know, 40, 50 years since, um, fast 40 years from since Roe v. Wade is an example of what happens when God's law is not followed in a society. You have the shedding of innocent blood, injustice, child sacrifice, witchcraft to an incredible degree. So that uh, should help us understand that what's going on now uh, in our society is the, the, the clear logical effect of paganism and idolatry. When we understand what witchcraft is, we realize it's, it's, the, it's the alternative to God's revelation to true religion. It abandons God's, God's law and leads to the injustice and shedding of innocent blood. And God judges this sin in history. He judged it in Canaan, Judah, Carthage. He's judging it now. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. Um, and uh, he, will, he will continue to judge it. The gospel age doesn't, just because we're in the gospel age, that doesn't mean God doesn't judge sin. It just means there's a great blessing of the gospel that is coming. When it comes to a society and it's embraced, paganism, witchcraft, child sacrifice are jettisoned because people recognize the, the abominable nature of these things and how they're unjust and they embrace God's, God's standards and God's laws, which lead to, to the good, to good for people. Um, I don't have time to get into it now, but when you just when you consider that the witchcraft is seeking after this that which is hidden and secret, um, I believe that there are those in the charismatic camp, those that are not converted, I believe, are open to this. Who are and even among the converted, we need to be aware that we don't adopt the pagan cultures of our time. That when you invite. Uh, yourself and, and others to, to seek after that which is hidden and you're not content with the revelation of God, you open yourself up to um, certain demonic forces, which unfortunately some of these charismatic services appear to be very much like the pagan religious services that you see throughout the world in pagan lands. So uh, the church today uh, in America and throughout the world needs to, to not uh, engage in this stuff, to reject it. If you had a society that was Christian, they would be implementing God's law in order to protect themselves from God's wrath, judgment in history, and also to protect the innocent from the practices of, of those that truly engage in true witchcraft as the Bible um, describes it. Uh, I'm not going to read it now, but Psalm 106, read that psalm and ask yourself what would happen if whatever church you're in, if you sang that song, especially the passage that deals with the sacrifice of children to demons. And I believe God put that in the songbook that he, that he meant the church, for the church to sing so that they would realize and recognize that God, God wants us to think about this sin of witchcraft and what it, where it flows from, a rejection of him, and what it leads to so that we can realize that worship of God and love of God leads to the implementation of his law and it leads to blessing and justice. When we reject it, what we have is the results of witchcraft. So God hates this sin because it leads to the destruction of mankind. 
But when Christ and his law are followed, it means a society will deal with this sin and the effects of it. Like I said, when the gospel comes in, you have to deal with paganism and child sacrifice, the occult and human sacrifice. And a society that comes to see the wicked impact of this sin um, as God does, as to see it as God sees it, will implement God's law as a protection, as I said, in order to prevent injustice and oppression, which always flows from humanistic, demonic, pagan laws. So that is a brief summary of witchcraft understood biblically and how um, it relates to God's judgment in history. And I hope that was worthwhile. Uh, if you're in the Delaware area, please come out to our once a month meeting, our Mars meeting, Mid-Atlantic Reformation, Reformation Society, where we deal with topics that are in the scriptures. So many topics that often aren't talked about. And we look at them and consider what we can learn, how we can apply God's law, and how we can advance the kingdom of Christ by being faithful to him and his word. So thanks for your time. Have a great night.